This is the Worth Recovery Podcast, featuring women in addiction. Welcome back to Worth Recovery. This is a podcast featuring women in addiction. My name is Amy. I'm a recovering sex addict, and I've been sober since December 2nd of 2012. I'm excited to be with you today for episode 54. This is episode 54, crazy, and is the conclusion of our three-part series about five years in. July of 2016 marked my five years in recovery. And so I've been sharing with you some of the ideas and thoughts and some of the different things that I've learned while I've been in recovery. Real quick, before we jump into that though, I wanted to give you an update on my mom. Several of you have been incredibly kind and reached out and asked about my mom. So this last week, we found out for sure, official, official from the doctor, that my mom's cancer has returned In 2008, my mom was diagnosed with breast cancer and she had a partial mastectomy and went through some treatment at that time. And in May of this year, 2016, she was actually eight years cancer free. They say if you can make it to 10, that things are really, really great and probably the cancer is not going to come back. However, after several weeks of testing and several weeks of a lot of pain for her and a lot of problems, We have the official diagnosis that my mom um, has bone cancer, that the cancer has returned and is manifesting in her bones as well as her lungs. And that gives her a life prox, uh, and that gives her a life prognosis of between six months to about a year. So I'm not super happy about that. (laughs) It's not super great. Um, There's a lot of grief, I feel, and a lot of sadness. I feel about that and uh, and I'm just and there's just a, a lot of contradicting emotions too because I'm really grateful on one hand that I have time I think you know people die in car accidents people die suddenly all the time and and I'm really grateful that I know this is coming and and I have the opportunity to have some time with her where we can really think about it talk about it love each other make any amends that we need to or work on our relationship a little bit more. I'm I'm really grateful for that time. And so I am trying to live in that moment of being grateful, though I do have the moments where I'm just grief stricken and, and I'm struggling with that too. But I want to share with you today one thing that my mom taught me. My mom taught me a lot of things. I've always said that I am my mother's daughter (laughs) in all, all the good parts of that and all of the bad parts of that. I am definitely my mother's daughter in so many ways we are alike. One of the things that my mom has told me though, several times is this saying, she says it all the time, actually, truth is truth is truth is truth, no matter where you find it. And she would tell me that all the time. That not to limit myself, that truth is truth is truth is truth, no matter where you find it. She was never afraid 
to look for help. She was, she, she not was, she's still alive. She reads a lot. She constantly reads and looks at books and new ideas. She is constantly taking classes, just different things to try to expand her mind, her knowledge, her skill level. Um, I've seen her with different meditation CDs. I've seen her with different um, health books, different therapy books, different. I just seen her with so many different things. She was never afraid to ask for help. Now, she wasn't always really good at talking about those things. And I learned that from her as well. I'm not really good at actually connecting with other people around these ideas. I'm getting much, much better. That's a big part of my recovery I'm grateful for. But she was never really great at that. But she was never afraid to seek out knowledge. And I'm really grateful for that because that paved the way for me to feel confident in seeking out help when I knew I was struggling. You know, there's a lot of stigmas and a lot of stereotypes around therapy, around 12-step groups, around just seeking help in general. And so I was just really grateful that I had that way paved for me by my mom. I've used this quote before. Um, It's my favorite quote by Albert Einstein. It says, you can't solve your problems with the same thinking you used when you created them. You can't. I, I attest to that. I testify that's true. You can't solve your problems with the same thinking you used when you created them. We have to have new thinking. In order to solve our problems and change our lives, we have to have new thinking. And that for me over the last five years that I've been in recovery came in the form of 12-step meetings, of sponsors, and therapy. In the past five years, I've practiced recovery in two different states. I've attended over 400 12-step meetings. Isn't that crazy? 400 12-step meetings. I've had two different sponsors. I've seen two different therapists. I've had approximately 210 therapy appointments. And I've participated in two group therapy experiences. So it's been quite the journey for sure. In the last two episodes, as I've talked a little bit about this, episodes 50 and 52, I shared with you a discussion I had with my first recovery therapist about some of my first few appointments. Also, we talked about how to find the right match for a therapist. And we talked some about some major recovery topics for my own recovery. Today, I want to talk to you about the five biggest lessons I've learned in recovery so far. Okay, these are like the five biggest lessons that I've learned in recovery. Now, before we jump into those lessons, though, real quick, don't forget, we've got upcoming Worth Recovery events. We have one here in Salt Lake City that's going to take place in January, January 21st of 2017. You can get all that information on the website. And we have next year's event back in Seattle is going to occur on Jul- in July, on July 15th of 2017. So I'm ex- super excited about those events. I'm super excited to also bring you more events really soon. Just trying to put the finishing touches on those. So, you know, I have, we average and worth recovery about 100 listeners per day. There's about 100 people that listen to one of our episodes every single day. That's a little, little crazy. Now, it's a little crazy to me. That feels like a lot of people. That's about 3,000 people a month, right? 3,000 people a month listen to an episode of Worth Recovery. Now, that's a lot. 
And we have a lot of great people that reach out and connect with us, but not not that many. We don't have 3,000 people that reach out and connect with us. We need more connection in our lives, ladies. We need more time spent together. These events were designed to help with that, to help you build connections in your own community, in your local area. So I hope that you can join us either in Salt Lake City or Seattle. Also, we're going to have one in California pretty quick, so we're excited about that. And we're looking for one in Florida, so we're excited about that too. So let me know if you want to host one of those events or you have an area of the country where you want to host an event. I would love to be able to provide that for you. So if that's the case, email me, amy at worthrecovery.com, A-M-Y at worth, W-O-R-T-H-R-E-C-O-V-E-R-Y.com. I'd love to be able to host one in your area for you and those women in your area that are seeking recovery. Also, don't forget, I want to give a big shout out to our Worth Warriors. Yay. Thank you so much, ladies, for your continuing contributions. You know how important it is to me, and I hope it's important to you, that we stick together as women in recovery, that when a woman reaches out for help in addiction, that there is the voice and the hand of a woman to reach back to her. And this podcast does that for a lot of women around the world, not just in the United States, but around the world. Now, it's expensive and it's time consuming to be able to produce this podcast on a weekly basis and put it out there for you. These Worth Warriors help to ensure that this stays free for all of the women in recovery so that no matter where you are or what you're doing, you have the opportunity to find other women in recovery. Thank you, Worth Warriors. You can join this movement, ladies, if you feel like this has been a benefit for you, this podcast, listening to these episodes, I encourage you to get online and join the Worth Warriors. For as little as $4 a month, you can support women in recovery throughout the world. That's less than 50 cents an episode. And just that $4 a month helps us to offset the costs of hosting and editing and all the different things that need to take place in order for this podcast to remain free. So please, please get on the website, worthrecovery.com, W-O-R-T-H-R-E-C-O-V-E-R-Y.com and pledge a small amount of money in order to help us keep this going. Thank you for those that do, the Worth Warriors. Now let's jump back to our topic today, episode 56. This was kind of a hard episode to write. There are so many lessons that I've learned, so many great things that I've learned. Some of these come from therapy, some come from 12-step meetings, some from my sponsors or recovery friends. This list for me tends to change a little bit as I learn new things and I practice recovery more and more in my life. And that's how it should be. As I learn and grow and assimilate new knowledge and information, this list should change a little bit of the things that have been the most influential and important to me. But as of this moment, these are the top five things that have helped me in recovery. It's these things that keep me coming back for more every week. It's these five things that help me to stay in recovery and keep me coming back. You ready? Now, first of all, this is not in order of importance, by the way, this list. Just my five things, top five things. So the first one, number one, number one on the list is vocabulary, like addiction, intimacy, emotion, connection, vocabulary. Now, that seems a little weird maybe, but before recovery, 
I didn't even have the vocabulary to talk about intimacy. And I'm not talking about physical intimacy here, not just about physical intimacy. I'm talking about intimacy in general. I I didn't have the vocabulary to be able to express what was going on in my head, what was going on in my heart, what it was that I was seeing, the interactions that was happening between people. I didn't have the vocabulary to talk about addiction. I didn't have the vocabulary to even name my own emotions or the connection or lack of connection I felt. I didn't have those words. I didn't know how to express them. In therapy and in 12-step groups, I have learned so many new vocabulary words. I've probably doubled my vocabulary in just these last five years. This might sound trite or really stupid to you, but really, when you have a word for the problem and can explain the problem, then you can change or fix the problem. Half of the issues that I was facing, I didn't even know how to describe or explain. As soon as I learned what it was, I could start identifying it. I could see it in myself. I could see it in other people. And when I could identify it, I could start correcting it in my life. And that was when my life really started to change. was when I could see it, explain it, identify it, and change it. Start correcting that behavior. One of my most favorite words that I've learned in recovery is the word enmeshment. Do you know what enmeshment means? If you don't, you need to go look that up. Enmeshment changed my life, okay? Understanding that word literally changed my life and my relationships with other people. One of my favorite parts about therapy is just listening to my therapist talk, especially if they're like coaching me through some type of conversation I need to have. Listening to the words they choose, the things that they say, the vocabulary that they use, it all helps me become more literate in talking about intimacy because I have an intimacy disorder. And if I need to set boundaries, if I need to talk about my addiction, if I need to talk about my emotions, or I need to talk about connection with other people, I need help with those vocabulary words. All of the things that I learned from them helped me to become more literate in talking about intimacy, be it spiritual, physical, emotional, cognitive, or experiential. Vocabulary has played a huge part in my recovery. When I was making this list, that's one of the very first things I thought about was the expansion of my vocabulary and the ideas and explanations behind those words, how much that has changed my recovery. So number one, vocabulary. Number two, the second thing on my list here is the understanding my needs. So first of all, it's okay to have needs. That that was life-changing for me. That was something that was new to me and something I had to get used to. This idea that we all have needs. Now, I understand kids have needs, but as adults, I had learned that it was not okay to have needs. And so the first thing I had to learn was that it was okay to have needs. It's 100% okay to have needs. We have things like the need to belong, the need to feel secure, the need to laugh, the need to feel valued, the need to learn. That's a big one for me. The need to feel challenged. That's another big one for me. These are all legitimate needs that people have. It's okay to have needs. Everyone has them, whether you're sick or healthy, whether you're practicing an addiction or not, everyone has needs. And then after it is okay to have needs, I had to learn that I am 100% responsible for meeting my own needs. Now, 
I know that's that's a big one for some people. I grew up in a family where this was said a lot. Well, if you loved me, you would know what I needed. If you really knew me, if you really cared about me, you would just know what I need. Like I shouldn't have to ask for it. I shouldn't have to tell you what I need. You should just know that because you love me. And guys, that's 100% false. Not true. I have needs and I am 100% responsible for meeting my own needs. That's my job. That is only my job. I can ask other people to help me, but I have to ask them to help me. I can't just assume or expect them to help me without even knowing that I have needs or without me asking for them to help. We can't have this attitude that, you know, if they really knew me, if they loved me, if they were the right person that they would just know what I want, read my mind. Eh, doesn't help, guys. Doesn't work. I'm 100% responsible for meeting my own needs. I can also help to meet the needs of others, but it's not my job to meet those needs. That's not my purpose in life. That's not what I'm responsible for. Now, you might have children. And so, you know, why they're helpless, you are responsible for meeting those needs, right? But I'm talking about adult relationships here. I can help if they ask me to, and if I choose to, but I don't have to. That's not my job. It's not my job to meet their needs. Also in learning about needs, I've learned that sacrificing my own needs to meet the needs of others is not a successful long-term strategy. It doesn't work. Short term, this is a compromise we make a lot. Like I said, with children, right? Like we might sacrifice sleep in order to help our children or things like that. And I can sacrifice something I need to help you. It's awesome. It's necessary. It's a necessary part of life. However, this is not a long-term strategy that is sustainable. It usually makes me bitter, angry, and resentful. I can help meet the needs of others. I can ask others to help meet my needs. But I am ultimately 100% responsible for getting my needs met. And sacrificing my needs over, like for a long period of time, over and over and over again, just leaves me deprived, bitter, angry, and resentful. I have to take the time and make sure that I meet my own needs. Now, in order to meet my own needs, right... I have learned a lot about boundaries. This is number three. So number one being vocabulary. Number two being understanding my own needs. And number three here being understanding boundaries. The first thing I had to learn about boundaries was that it was my God-given right to have boundaries. Sometimes, I think as women particularly, we have a hard time with that idea that it is my right, my God-given right, just because I exist I have the right to have boundaries. Boundaries are all about providing a safe place for me to operate so that I can get my needs met. It's not about punishing anyone, restricting anyone, or anything like that. It's about getting my needs met. Boundaries are a necessary part of life. Not having boundaries is unhealthy. Boundaries are the way that I get my needs met. When I have boundaries with my time, I can take care of the things that I need to in order to take care of myself, right? I'm not constantly giving my time away, but I'm getting the things that I need done first. When I have boundaries with my money, 
when I'm not constantly giving my money away to every single person that asks me, or when I'm not using my money to try to buy the approval or love of other people, then I take care of my needs. I pay my bills. I do the things I need to do, right? Boundaries are about taking care of my needs. When I have boundaries around the way people treat me, when I don't allow people to rage or yell or scream, or when I don't allow abuse to happen, when I don't allow people to manipulate me, then I meet the need that I have to feel safe and secure and to feel valued. Boundaries are all about meeting my needs. I can't meet my needs if I don't have secure boundaries in place. And that's when I approached boundaries that way, then all of a sudden boundaries took on a whole new meaning. One of the women that I work with, she tells me all the time that I am such a great model of solid boundaries. Well, I learned that because I can't meet my needs if I don't have secure boundaries in place. And so because I started to live in a world where my needs were getting met, I started to be really, really solid on my boundaries. Because the more that I live in a world where my needs are getting met, the happier I am and the more joyous I feel and the more accomplished I feel and the more confident I feel because my needs are getting met. I'm the one meeting those needs and I have to have boundaries in place to make that happen. Now, I've also learned about boundaries that enforcing boundaries is my job. I can't state my boundary one time and expect that other people in my life are always going to respect that boundary. In fact, that never happens, right? You'd say, this is my boundary, and then everyone just wants to push up against it and make sure it's secure. They push and push and push and push and push and push and make sure that it really is secure. Have you heard that story about elephants? Elephants that are in the circus. So at first, when they're just little elephants, right, they chain them up with massively heavy chains on one of their legs. And there is no way that those baby and small elephants can pull that chain out. And they try and try and try for years. They try and try and try. Well, after they become about three or four, all it takes to tie that elephant up is just a small rope. Even though that elephant could pull that rope at any point in time, he doesn't because he's learned that that ties him down because he tried for years. I've taken the same approach on my boundaries, right? Some, I tell someone this is my boundary and it's got to be firm and secure and I have to enforce that boundary. It's my job to maintain them. And then after a while, they quit pushing so hard and then things just happen naturally and I don't have to worry so much about it. At the beginning, especially if I have unhealthy relationships, it's really difficult to enforce that boundary. But that is my job in recovery. That is my job. So those are the first three things that we've learned so far. Three major things that have affected my recovery. The first one is vocabulary. The second one is needs, understanding my needs. The third one is understanding my boundaries, what they are, and and accepting that I can have boundaries. Now, I've got two more for you today. So the fourth one, number four, is acceptance. Recovery has taught me acceptance. An acceptance of a lot of different things on a lot of different levels. I would say the first one is acceptance of myself. Acceptance of who I am, that I'm not perfect. Acceptance of what I am. Acceptance that I'm cap- what I'm capable of. Acceptance of my needs. Acceptance of my emotions. Acceptance of my boundaries. Acceptance of my addiction. It's also taught me acceptance of my experiences. That they are what they are. 
that I can sit in a corner and cry about them, or I can actively work to learn and get better from my experiences. One of the mantras that I use all the time is the idea of bitter or better. My experiences in life can make me bitter or they can make me better. And as I've learned acceptance of these experiences, I've learned how to turn them into better experiences, experiences that make me better. Recovery has also taught me acceptance of my family, understanding that we all did the very best that we could. And when I understand that, I can accept that. I can love them because of the effort that they made, whether it actually succeeded or not. Also putting boundaries in place with my family so that I don't have to repeat any trauma or abuse. My relationships with my family are better. I'm learning how to show up in these relationships better. I get the respect that I want out of these relationships. and I don't feel like I get ran over all the time, all the time. There are some times that I still struggle with that, but it's okay because things are getting better. Recovery has also taught me acceptance of other people. I am far less judgmental now than when I started, for sure. I love people more. I talk to people way more. I'm fascinated by people in a good way. I want to hear about what they've accomplished, what they've been through, what they've survived, what they're doing, where they're headed, where they're going. And this acceptance that I've come to um, in recovery has just changed my life. It's helped me to slow down. It's helped me to understand what's going on around me. It's helped me to develop a confidence for myself and in my abilities and skill set. Most of all, though, it's helped me develop a sense of value within myself that all of us have these experiences, that we all have things that we don't like about ourselves. And I just have gained a whole new sense of self with this acceptance that I've learned in recovery. It's been awesome. It's been totally awesome. I've learned acceptance not only through therapy, but a lot through my 12-step group. Learning about people, spending time with people, hearing their stories has taught me a lot of acceptance. And I'm really, really grateful for that. So that's number four. So we've done vocabulary, needs, boundaries, acceptance. And this last one, number five, okay, this is... Again, this was just one of the very like most influential things that I've learned in recovery. My five years in is this. I can live in the gray area. I can live in the gray area. Now, that's might seem, again, might seem trite to you. But for me, I'm a logical mathematician. I need everything to line up. I need to know what X equals. I'm good at solving equations. I need to solve and get what the X is equal to. This many times causes me to think in black and white, to think in extremes. And I lived my life in addiction, and not just in addiction, but even before recovery, I lived my life in extremes, in black and white, all of the time. I could only ever see the two extremes. And this whole messy gray area in the middle, I I couldn't even see that. I learned that extreme thinking is part of my addictive and codependent cycle, particularly my codependent cycle. I need to be able to find all of the alternatives. I needed to learn to live in the gray area. And the gray area for me is where things don't always work according to equations, where there are just as many right decisions as there are wrong decisions, where there's at least 15 options in front of me. And I need to be able to look at all of them and see what they are. But I think also some of the most important things about living in the gray area 
is that contradicting feelings and emotions can coexist in my heart about the same person. I can live in the gray area where I don't know the end of something or what the result of the course of action will be before I choose it. That's really difficult for me. I always want to know what the end is going to look like. But living in the gray area, sometimes I just know that this is the right course of action. And so I pursue it, even though I don't know what it's going to look like at the end. And for me, that's the gray area. Now, those are my five things, guys. These are some of the most important lessons that I've learned so far in my five years in recovery. Now, maybe these seem trivial or trite to you. Maybe you were expecting some big, magical, overwhelming things that would move you forward big time. Well, that isn't the case. These are the things we might know in our heads, but I didn't actually learn or practice until I got into recovery. And they have impacted my life and my recovery the most, at least right now. I'm still in recovery. I'm still in therapy. I will stay here for a long time. And so this list will change as my life changes, my needs change, as my recovery changes, as things happen in my life, this list is going to change. And that's how it should be. Because if I stop, if I become stagnant in life, then I'm really just moving backwards. One of the things my sponsor always tells me is that recovery is like walking up a down escalator that I can't stop moving. If I don't stop moving and making progress, then if I think I'm stopping, that down escalator is just going to take me down. So it's important that I keep moving forward. And this list will change as I keep moving forward. I'm excited to do six years in next year and tell you what does that look like or feel like? What are the lessons I've learned in the next year to come? I would love to hear some of your biggest lessons that you've learned in recovery. You can share them with me on Facebook. You could comment on the website or you can email them to me directly at amy, A-M-Y, at worthrecovery.com. We all learn different lessons as we go through this process. And so I'm excited to hear from you what some of your lessons are. As always, ladies, I hope you remember that no matter what is going on in your life, no matter how far you think you've gone, no matter how you feel in this very moment, you are worth recovery. 100% worth it. I know that. Keep up the fight. Don't forget, you can support Worth Recovery by being a Worth Warrior. If this podcast has helped you even a little bit, if you think it's worth 50 cents, get online and join the movement. All the details are on the website, worthrecovery.com. Don't forget, I think about you, I pray for you every day, and I love you. Until next time, Amy. stuff. The mission of Worth Recovery is to dispel shame and build hope in the lives of women struggling with and recovering from sex addiction. I am not associated with any 12-step group, religious organization, or therapeutic clinic. I am an addict sharing my own experiences and recovery.